Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. We've been in this um, this series called the Ministry of the Holy Spirit, and it's been awesome. It's been really good, and so I would encourage. So I'm kind of just giving my my perspective, my spin, and just was led by the Holy Spirit to teach what I'm going to teach today. But you know, in this series, just to kind of as a recap and a review, we're talking about how the Holy Spirit is incredibly relational, you know. He's not an impersonal um, part of the Trinity. He's very personal. He's very relational. And he loves you and is reminding you of everything that Jesus has said, right? And then where Clint has talked a lot about, about being honest with yourself. Like, that's really important to be honest with yourself. And Holy Spirit is there in that process to help bring you comfort and to help you bring strength in the midst of being honest with yourself. Because being honest without, with yourself with, apart from the love of God is really hard, and it, I, I would believe that it doesn't actually lead us anywhere. But when God is involved in the process and we can be honest with ourselves, God is showing us something he is inviting us into something that's way better than what we're experiencing. That's the, that's the reason that we're honest with ourselves. And another thing is the Holy Spirit wants you to hear, hear the Father for yourself. You know, sometimes people hear God for other people, but God wants, through the Holy Spirit, for you to hear God for you. God wants it to be personal for you. Amen. And so, what I, my message today is called um, Returning and the Power of the Spirit, okay? And this is, this, I'm going to read this scripture. This is Luke 4, verse 14 through 15. It says, and this is, um, it says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, And news of him went out through all the surrounding region, verse 15, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. And so, so that's where the title of my message comes from, is that Jesus returned in the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, to Galilee. Well, if you know why he, where did he return from? What, what is this scripture referring to? It's referring to the wilderness. It's referring to him. So we're, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the, earth, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Because I think we're going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's probably a good idea to talk about how Jesus started. Because Jesus was the perfect example of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Can we agree on that? Right. And so, uh, so what I, it's, it's, it's been really cool to kind of unfold and see all these different elements of what God wants us to see. Because, you know, Jesus models something. Jesus doesn't model a life that's important that we can't live. Now, we can't live the life that he models apart from the Holy Spirit, but because of the Holy Spirit, anything Jesus teaches or says is possible, right? That would be terrible if Jesus modeled or taught something that we could never, you know, we could never reach. You understand what I'm saying? Like, Jesus isn't da- uh, dangling a carrot for us that we'll never be able to get. Jesus wants us to see the way that he did ministry and say, that's for you too. 
Amen? And so an interesting part uh, through this process of looking at the early part of Jesus' ministry is, so Jesus is uh, baptized by John. We all know that. And then immediately after he's baptized, he's led into the wilderness. And what's, what's interesting through, through looking at this is that, and, and you'll see in the account of Luke, that after he's led in the wilderness, there's one verse that we're, I'm going to show you or talk about. And that all after the wilderness is John 1, 2, 3, and 4 in the Gospels. And so there's one verse in Luke 4 after the wilderness that is basically John 1, 2, 3, and 4. And then Jesus goes to his hometown, and that's where he opens the scroll. So anyways, I know I said a lot. I'm just trying to set up where we're going, what we're talking about, and pray. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you. God, that I would speak your word, God, with clarity and with direction and by inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that I am empowered to be a witness, not to do witnessing, but to be a witness. I am a witness, God. I thank you, God, for your spirit is upon my life. I thank you that my life is yielded to you. Father, I thank you that, God, you, in a unique and masterful way, would speak directly to heart as I communicate your word. Father, I yield to it. I trust you. I love you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I was saying... So I'm just going to read that again, Luke 4, Luke 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And then the following verse of that, it begins, Jesus reads the scroll of Isaiah 61, where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So verse 15 that we just read is John 1, 2, 3, and 4. Just to kind of give you an idea. That never clicked for me. I never really understood that. But it helps to kind of see because there's a progression in the Gospels. And there's a progression in how Scripture is written. And I think it's for, for our instruction to see, right? Because you want to see that. Things, there is a building in a ministry, correct? And so we're literally looking at the very beginning of what Jesus did with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here we go. John 1, and it says this. The next day, this is talking about John baptizes Jesus. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him because John's baptizing and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this is an account of where we're going to go in Luke. It's just another account. And, you know, it's interesting to think that John, how many of y'all think John was like, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Like, or he did like King James, like, you know, beholdeth the Lambeth of God. <laughs> like, I think... John was probably pretty charismatic when he said this. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. Like, and he wasn't trying to be, like, try to be charismatic. It's like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I think it was, it was probably way more intense than that. But, you know, so John's out there in the wilderness eating locust and... And honey, that's all he's doing. That's crazy, right? Um, he's out there in the desert just covered in camel's hair. And we hear, like, when you get wet camel's hair, like, you stink. So we have a stinky insect-eating man <laughs> in the wilderness, okay, just to give you a picture. 
My whole, the whole reason I'm eating locust and honey and wearing this camel's hair is because of this man, this guy, Jesus, behold, he's here finally. Maybe I can stop eating locusts. Maybe I can stop wearing this camel hair. Hey, Jody. Hey, Nicole. I just saw you guys. That's awesome. Um, and so that's how I picture, like, his whole life was built on this. And then Jesus comes, and it's like, man, it's on. Like, here we go. Everything I've invested my life and my energy, the time has come. And that's, like, really bold words to say. The God who takes away the sin of the world. That's dramatic. We don't, we, we're so familiar with it, sometimes we don't realize how dramatic that is. But if you were there in that day and age, and there's a proclamation, there's a man, not only is he, is he the man, he's the Lamb of God. He's like the Lamb of God. So as like, in that time, and in, in, in like a Levitical priest that would actually perform sacrifice, it's like they understood, like they checked the whole lamb. So like they, because that had to be a spotless, perfect uh, sacrifice, right? They, they were, from what I understand, they would be with that lamb for like a year and they took care of it. They nurtured it and they cared for it and they loved it and they had to make sure that this lamb didn't get caught in briars and they had to look underneath the wool and they had to inspect the lamb and make sure that there's no blemishes. That's Jesus, spotless, no blemish. And then the priest would, would perform the sacrifice for the sin, the day of atonement for the entire nation. Come on, that's crazy. And Jesus is that representation of what it was for the Day of Atonement, but way more better because it wasn't a sacrifice that would be offered once every year, but it was a sacrifice his life offered once for all so that there would be no more consciousness of sin, no more reminder of bringing your stuff constantly, constantly, constantly. Like you take your bucket and you dump it forever and the sea of forgetfulness. That's scripture. Amen. As far as the east from the west, because there's no end, it just totally just, bam, just totally annihilates that thing. That's the gospel. So, Luke 3, verse 21, this is the same account, but from a different writer. Luke doesn't, talk, doesn't share that little nice nugget of, John's proclamation, but it says, and by the way, this, this account is in every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which if you look at the harmony of the gospels, if something is in there in every gospel, believe that it has incredible significance, totally. Like that's not something to just just read by and, and, and go through. It's something to really meditate on because if every, every writer is saying, pay attention to this, you need this. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Okay, so Luke 3, 21 says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized and while he prayed, the heaven was opened. In verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Okay. I like the New Living Translation. I got it there. It says, You are my dearly loved Son and you bring me great joy. That's awesome. And... What, what the, to me, what the gospel writers are trying, one of the things they're trying to communicate is identity, identity, identity. Because before Jesus ever performed a miracle, 
before Jesus ever did anything in the work of the ministry, a dove, the Holy Spirit, came upon him and said, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Before he did anything, Jesus never got his identity from anything he did. Never. And God made it very important that we see that modeled in the life of Jesus. Because again, what's modeled in his life is also modeled for us. That God, before we ever take a step into ministry, we have to be completely solidified. And I'm not saying that you wait for, that's not what I'm saying, that you wait forever until you finally arrive. That's not what I'm saying. God wants to, um, wants to make sure that our identity is sealed by his voice and not the voice of another. Because God is speaking the same thing to each and every one of us, whether you realize it or not. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. I have great joy in you. Just like that picture. You may color outside the lines, but he's still saying it. Because you're his son and he's your daughter. And there may be things in our life that aren't necessarily things to be proud of. But God loves us right where we're at. Love keeps no record of wrong. That's good. And so, you know, something else, I, I, this is just kind of my own creative license, but it's kind, of, it's kind of humorous to think about. We can be funny, right, looking at things. Is that when Jesus is getting baptized by John, and just from what I understand a little bit of history from commentary that I've read, um, is that when, so these baptisms were not new in the sense of there was actually history behind being baptized. And if a Gentile, someone just simply meaning some, someone that wasn't in covenant with God, uh, wanted to become a Jew, someone that was in covenant with God, the children of Israel, the Jews, they would get baptized right? And so it was a method of conversion. And so a Gentile would get baptized and get converted to Judaism. And so when you look at in terms like that, here's Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, approaching almost. And so the Jews that were coming to get baptized, that was an incredibly humbling thing if you look at it under that context, because they're essentially saying, I'm no better than a Gentile. I'm no better than someone that's not in covenant with God, which is repentance. John the Baptist preached the gospel of repentance because he wanted to get people's heart in a place to where they were ready for Jesus to come. That's ultimately in simple elementary terms, what it means for repentance is to get your heart in a place that when the Messiah or God speaks, your heart's soft, which requires humility, which requires you not thinking more highly of yourself than others, so that when the word of God comes, the cares of this world and all these other things won't steal the word. And so, and so I could just picture Jesus getting baptized in this context and his brothers who he grew up with. You know, Jesus, he's just always, you know, walk, you've seen the picture of Jesus walking on, on the water in the tub, you know, as baby Jesus, you know. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
So, like, you just imagine growing up with Jesus. I mean, you know, he's shooting free throws, just never misses. <laughs> like, Jesus, would you just mess up? Would you just do something? Would you just get angry? You know, his, his brothers take his, you know, his car, his little horse thing, whatever, you know, his little toy, and he doesn't get mad. He just goes, here you go. It's yours. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he never said, mine, mine, mine. I live with that. It's just, ah, help me, Jesus. That's my world. I have two daughters. They're 18 months apart, and they're just, they're like the best friends, but they're also the worst enemies. So I see Jesus. um, Yeah, he's getting baptized, and they're like, yes, finally, the day has come. I knew there was something wrong with him. He's got sin in his life, you know. I knew there was hidden things, and they're like, this is the day. Jesus finally, finally lets us know he's repenting of all his hidden stuff, right? So they're all watching. They're all, they're waiting. They're like, yeah, this is good. Yeah, I knew this day would come. Finally, it's only 30 years, but finally it's here. Yeah, and so they're waiting for it, and then the heavens opened up, right, the clouds apart, an angel and a choir of angels are singing. Ah! And it says, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. And they're like, dang it, man, dang it. I thought we had him, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's just how I see it, you know? There's a lot of creative license, I know. That's good. But, okay. All right, so Luke 20, oh, I'm doing terrible in time. Help me, God. Okay. Less jokes. Stay focused. Be serious. Okay. Luke 3, 23, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That's where we're going next. The son of Mahat, the son of Balalamba. Yeah. Okay. Because this is awesome. This is what you need. So now Jesus. No, serious. There's so much good stuff in this. You're going to realize it. So now Jesus himself began his ministry about, at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. I, I think I'm saying that right. Heli, thank, thank you. We needed a scholar. Thank you. Verses 24 through 37 continue on saying the son of this person, the son of this person, the son of this person. Then it arrives at verse 38, and it says, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So there's verses, there's like over 10 verses where it's saying the son of another person. And was Jesus actually the son of Joseph? No, he's the son of God. I mean, it says in this verse, as supposed, but it's interesting, this is, we just read Jesus being baptized, right, by John, and it's interesting, okay, after, you would think this genealogy, it would make sense for this genealogy, just kind of go with me, in the beginning of Luke, you got Luke 1, 2, the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, all that, wouldn't it make sense? for the writer of Luke to put the genealogy in the beginning, like Matthew. Because in Matthew, the genealogy is in the very beginning. That's how it starts. And you're like, can I just, can we just go? Can we just get over the genealogy? How, how many of y'all have actually read, you've like read, like you didn't just skip over it. You know, just read over the genealogy. Yeah, yeah. So, no, you know, it's, yeah, it's good. So, what I think... What the writer, because it's an odd place for the genealogy to be. This genealogy, so, is in between. It's sandwiched in between the baptism and Jesus being led into the wilderness. And we're going to see why. Well, I believe why. I feel like the Holy Spirit has showed me why. And what I think the writer is trying to communicate with all the the son of, 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 
then the Son of God, is he saying the Son of Man, 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 the Son of Man. If you understand what I'm saying, that has so much significance. The Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. Meaning, what we just read, him being baptized, and this is my beloved son, it's like the writer is saying, he's not just the son of God, he's the son of man. He wasn't just baptized, and the Holy Spirit came upon him, and I said, this is my beloved son, whom I will please as the son of God, but as the son of man. Jesus, I have this statement, Jesus started his ministry as both the Son of Man and the Son of God. Because as the Son of Man, it's what Jesus does as the Son of Man is a model for what we can do. See, as the Son of Man, he is identifying with the Son of He's identifying with the first man, with the first Adam. And he's saying, I'm, I'm fixing everything. I'm, I'm churning everything back to the way it was meant to be. He's saying, as the son of man, what I can do, you can do also. Like, there's not, it, there, man, I, Lord, it's so good. Romans 8, 3 says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, did Jesus have sin in his life? No, but he, ha- he, he can't. God sent him in the likeness of sin- sinful flesh, the Son of Man, tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. Because God wants us to see his life lived is not impossible for us, for us to experience. I know that stretches us, but we need to be stretched. We're the body of Christ. We're not, oh man, there's, we're Christians, little Christ. We're little Jesuses walking the earth. You are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Did Jesus mean what he said? Was Jesus like, you'll you'll get there, you'll be the light of the world when you go to heaven. What would be the point? There's no need for you to be the light of the world in heaven. There's no need to be a light where there's no darkness. The reason we're the light of the world is because there's darkness. <laughs> he wants us to bring the light. Awesome. Okay. Moving on. Page two. All right. Luke four. I have titled this Crockpot Jesus. Yes, I like it, yeah. Yeah. Heretic. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm blending in right with Jesus. That's all right. So Jesus, I, I say this because Jesus was crockpotting, I believe, for 30 years. Uh, man, he... He was understanding who he was. He was growing, you know, what is at the age of 12, they were leaving Jerusalem, and they couldn't find Jesus. That's a terrible parent move, right? <laughs> Where's our son? He's the Messiah. He's gone. <laughs> and he's learning from the, the, you know, the religious leaders of the day, and he's confounding them with his questions, not with his knowledge, with his questions. Don't confound people with your knowledge. Confound people with your questions. That's good. I'm going to write that one down. 
Um, so I just, so to say that, to set the stage to where we're going, and the stage, we have, I have 15 minutes to finish this whole thing. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, Jesus is about to go into the wilderness. He's been crockpotting for 30 years, seeing Satan, the ruler of this world, completely, his kingdom set up, it's Lord of the Rings, it's all that, and it's time for somebody to do something, to just totally just bring everything back into order and to, to destroy hell for a living and for people to experience the love of the Father and for chill, prodigals to be back, back, bring back home and be brought back into the family. Jesus has watched, watched people suffer, has watched people hurt. And Jesus is like, I mean, it's astounding. God is so long-suffering and so patient. But in his wisdom, he understands the time. And Jesus is like, it's time. It's time. Okay? It says, Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned. This is right after the baptism, remember? Returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Filled with the Spirit. He's overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. He's going into the wilderness filled full of joy, peace, love, all that good stuff, self-control. He's going into the wilderness full of the Spirit where there's no more room for anything else. The account in Mark 1 says, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness right after the baptism. Right after he gets baptized, the Father declares, this is my beloved Son. Immediately, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. So, verse 2, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when they had ended, he was hungry. Now, I'm asking the question, when was Jesus tempted by the devil? Huh? You said 40 days. 40 days. Okay. Anyone else? Continuously. Yeah. Okay. I, for me, I, th I looked at it that way too. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But there's an indication the three temptations that Satan gives was not during the 40 days. Matthew, I'll, I'm going to prove it to you. Matthew 4, verse 2, and says, And when he had fasted 40 days by the devil, or, sorry, I'm reading, I was reading Luke, Matthew. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry, now when the tempter came to him. And so, I say that to say that, <laughs> I say that to say that, um, it's important to understand that I, I do believe probably Jesus was tempted by the devil during those 40 days. I, that's probably very likely. But as far as the temptations for his identity happened at, at the end of his fast. And if you know anything about fasting, the hardest part of a fast is not is not in the beginning of the fast. It's when hunger returns. That's the hardest part of a fast. It's not, and he's doing a 40-day fast. The Spirit leads him to do this. That's crazy. And to give us indication, it says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now, if you're fasting, would you tempt 
Jesus on day one to churn stones into bread? Probably not. I'm just, I mean, I can, I, you know what I'm saying? Turn this stone into a bologna sandwich. No, it's not. You would wait if you were the enemy. The enemy looks for opportune time and looks for weakness. And he looks for the weakest moment to come at Jesus to turn the stone into bread and to tempt him of his identity. It's just important to see that. That the devil waited for the most opportune time and the weakest place. And Jesus responds, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus, remember, Jesus is going through this as the Son of Man. So we're going to talk about led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why did the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Why? Like, couldn't he have done this, like, midway through his ministry? Couldn't he have done this, like, later? Like, why... Why be baptized by John and then immediately, as the gospel writer of Mark says, drive him into the wilderness? I mean, and there's so much here. And this could be, a, I could do a whole message on this, but I'm going to read, I'm going I'm to, I believe I'm going to give you one reason why. I believe there's probably multiple reasons. But one reason, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape and that you may be able to bear it. And that can be taken in so many different wrong contexts, that verse right there. But to me, the verse is saying, first of all, do not fear. Because no temptation has overtaken any man, it be common. Everything, every temptation that has come to man, it's a common thing. It's coming to all man. And so it's like, this is, in Jesus' situation, it's like, this is nothing new. This is nothing special. The, devil, the devil's been tempting people since the beginning of time. With what temptation? With lust and all this? No. The devil's tempting of identity. You prove who you are. You think you're the son of God? Prove it. That's the temptation. That's the temptation that we face. Every day there's a temptation in our life. Prove who you are. By what you do. We don't prove anything ever according to the life of Jesus and by the ministry of the Holy Spirit by what we do. Our identity is saturated, concrete in the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from his mouth. And he has already spoken. I like how it says in the Amplified, it says, No temptation, regardless of its source, such as has overtaken or enticed you. I know this is not up here, just, just listen. That is, that is not common to human experience, nor is any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance, but God is faithful to his word. He is compassionate and trustworthy. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist, but along with the temptation he has in the past and is now and will always provide the way out as well so that you will be able to endure it without yielding and will overcome temptation with joy. Now, an obvious thing, it, as we, we've heard in this body, in James, it tells us that God tempts no man. God's not bringing the temptation. Correct. We understand that. 
this verse is not saying that God brings temptation into your life. Get rid of that. That'll kill you. The temptation's coming from the devil. The temptation's coming from the enemy. The temptation's coming from strongholds and wrong beliefs and, and false ways of seeing ourselves. That's the temptation's coming from that. And those little devils, those little demons just like to whisper and reinforce unbelief and doubt in our life all the time about who God says that we are. And it's time that we receive the word of God and completely with fire and with love completely annihilate that thing forever. <laughs> and I'm smiling because it's so good and it's so possible. People need it, man. We need it. And people need it. Jesus crockpot in this stuff, man. Because there's a world that's hurting and there's people that's broken. As he said later on, very, when he goes to his hometown, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news, to heal the brokenhearted, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring recovery of sight, to set the liberties or set the captives free. Man, he was crockpotting in that his whole life. So I'm going to give you an illustration to help you. Understand this. So some of you know I used to be into this I used to be into this hobby of of caving, of exploring underground like that's what I did for years and years and years. Go all over North Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, and go to various caves and rappel down these um, large open-air pits, and that was like my life for, for a long time. That's what I did every weekend. And there was this one particular cave that I first started going to. Called, it's called Petty John's. And um, it's kind of a smaller cave. It's only five and a half miles of passage. That's the smaller. That's a lot of that's a lot of places to go in a cave because you're not you're not running in a cave. You know, it's very slow, methodical, sometimes crawling, sometimes walking, but you're not you're you're stupid if you're running in a cave, I'm just saying. <laughs> um and I would go to this cave and man, it was like it was, hey Go quiet down back there. Uh, so I'd go to this cave, and I, I, it was like a drug. It was like doing, it was like doing a drug for the first time. It was so, I just loved it. I just like ate it up, and I just like I gotta go back, 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 back. It was probably unhealthy in a lot of ways, but needless to say, I wanted like so. There was someone that took me. They led me. They would kind of show me the way because sometimes you go into a room and there's like six different ways to go and like half of them could lead to just dead ends and it's like you waste all this time and I got to a point where I wanted to know the way because you really depend like if someone got hurt the leader the person leading you got hurt and you had to get out you're in trouble <laughs> You better pay attention to where you're going. We'd always, I'd always tell people as a leader leading people in, make sure you look behind you when you go through something because the way it looks going in looks completely different on the way out. And so you want to make sure you do that. And so I wanted to learn this cave. I wanted to make sure that I could, I could route find and I could lead people confidently. And so it got my biggest fear initially was getting lost. My biggest fear, of, which it would be, that, that makes sense, right? Was getting lost. So that, because I couldn't find, I would want to find my way out. But eventually, it got to a point that where I knew the passages, and I didn't know them all, right? But I knew them well enough that I actually hoped and looked forward to getting lost. Why? 
the reason why I, got, I looked forward to getting lost was not because I was an idiot. <laughs> the reason I looked forward to getting lost was because I was confident that I could find my way out. And I believe Jesus went into the wilderness with this, the wilderness. Oh, made that connection. With that same confidence that no matter what happens, I'm so lost in the love of God. I'm so confident in what he has said to me that no matter what the devil tries to throw my way, I'm going to get out of here. That's what, that, that's what it gives whole new meaning to this verse. No temptation has overtaken you except his common demand. That, I, believe that's what Jesus, that's, I believe that's the mentality of Jesus. And I'm telling you, when you have that mindset, woo, better watch out, devil. You say, oh, don't do that. You better knock on wood. That's the devil. Stop it. Don't knock on wood ever. That's superstitious baloney. I can knock on wood. I don't have to knock on wood ever in my life because God is for me. God is with me. And if God be for me, who can be against me? Nothing shall separate me from the love of God. Not trial, not tribulation, nothing, not sickness, not anything. For if God did not spare his own son, this is all Romans 8, how will he not freely give us all things? If he gave us Jesus, will he not give us a way out? <laughs> I'm really not angry. I'm so happy inside. And I'm over time. Ugh. I'm going to bring it to a close, but I have a few statements I want to say. Victories build confidence. It says this in Luke 2, 52. It's the same, the same gospel. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So if Jesus had to increase in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men, and he's He's the son of God. He's the son of man. Right? With us too, right? So I believe that God in his magnificent wisdom, because the, the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Not the devil. The devil didn't lead Jesus into the wilderness. But the devil said, okay, you're going to go seek God? Like Jesus wasn't watching Pure Flix for 40 days. <laughs> if, by the way, quick note, if you want to see Christian horse movies, get Pure Flix. There's only a hundred of them. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> uh, we love you, Pure Flix. Bless you. Okay. All right. Confidence changes the way we see the wilderness. And so when you have explored Jesus, that's building a relationship, that's affirming your identity daily, that's yielding to him every single day, every, it's giving him your life, it's following him, it's making him Lord, it's saying, you love me. You gave everything for me. And it's not this have to. It's not this manager. It's not this. It's a son with a privilege to be with him and to follow him and to have a relationship with him. And as you do that and you just yield your heart and your life to him and you're just, you make your conscience your best friend that I'm not going to defile my conscience, not because I don't have to and because it's a law, but because I want to keep my heart totally, totally pure, totally clean for God to be, do what he wants to do in my life. And as I do that and yield my heart to him, he can direct me and guide me.
That's the sovereignty of God, yielding our hearts to the degree that not, we're not waiting for God to do something, but we're yielding our life so that God can sovereignly be in our lives. And you can be at the right place at the right time ministering to someone who needs life and truth because you're a disciple and you're a witness. Luke 4.13 again says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Jesus came through the wilderness as the Son of Man, not as the Son of God, not just as the Son of God, as it said, the Son of, 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 the Son of. It's important that you understand that what Jesus did, he did as the Son of Man as the Son of God, as the Son of Man empowered with the same Holy Spirit that we have when we yield our life to Him. He said, the works that I'll do, you'll do also. That's John 14. And greater than these. Again, Luke 4, 14 through 15. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He didn't come out of there crawling. Oh, just fasted for 40 days. He returned in power. Say power. power. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. Jesus crockpotted, baptized. The God affirms his truth, his word, his love for his son. He goes and whips the devils behind. And then he goes out and says, I'm going, I'm ready to love people <laughs> with a ferocious love, like Liam Nelson and the taken. <laughs> Not exactly like that. Cut that from the tape. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, homework. Very simple. Elementary. Maybe too simple. But it's the gospel. Completely sen- surrender your life to a God who loves you. <laughs> don't wait and don't hold back. Yield, yield, yield. If you wait for you to Get whatever cleaned up in your life, whatever it is. It can be something as silly. It really all is. Um, And, you know, from Father's eyes. If you wait, you'll just be waiting your whole life. I'll tell you, every significant encounter I've had has never been when I've cleaned up anything. It's just a willingness to say, you know what? I humble myself. I surrender all to you. And I know there's a lot more for my life. And whatever that is, I just receive it right now by faith, not by feelings, not by emotions, but by your word and what it says. I believe you want it for me, and I receive it right now. That's when my life changed forever. There was no goosebump. There was no feeling. It was I was sick and tired of living just in mediocrity. God didn't bless us for mediocrity. Mediocrity is not the kingdom. And it's not like, oh, I have to, you're saying I have to live up to, no, 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 it's not that. Because imagine how the disciples would feel with Jesus for three years, comparing themselves. Comparing yourselves is not, a, it's, not it's totally anti-gospel. Totally. You think Jesus was shoving that in their face? You, you're kidding me. Jesus loved the disciples every step of the way. Now, he told them the truth. Peter's walking on water. Where's your faith, man? But he does it in love, man. It's to set us free. And that's the yield, yield, yield. Don't wait for 
born again experience. I mean, not just don't just live off of your just one time experience encounter, your baptism in the Holy Spirit or whatever your encounter is. Don't just live off of that. You continue to yield your life. I'm under the impression that we don't need to get more people spirit-filled. We need to get spirit-filled believers continually yielding to the Spirit. If 3,000 changed the whole world, how many spirit-filled believers do we have now? Way more than that. And we can change this world. We have the privilege to do it. It's not an obligation. It's not a weight to bear. It's none of that. It's the freedom. And it's fun to just destroy hell for a living. You got to, you, you know, there's a place of hating darkness. Not where you focus on it. Not where you become a demon hunter. But you're so God conscious. You're so love conscious. I don't, you know, I'm finding out in my life, I don't ever, I, it's less about me trying to do any kind of witnessing. All I've done, I feel like in my life, is I'm opening my heart. Just like the devil looks for an opportune time, so shall we. When someone's weak, the devil's trying to creep up. Ha, 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 I'm going to get them. And the Son of God blast in us. Jesus loves you. Jesus came to set you free. Behold in Jesus' name. If the devil's going to look for an opportune time, so shall we. But with life and power and integrity and character, they're all, they all, character and power and integrity should all be at the same place. It's not one or the other. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you, God, for confirming your word. God, we just yield our lives to you right now. Just begin to pray to him. Don't, don't, don't look at me. Thank you, Father. Just open, You can close your eyes if that helps. Father, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you. You know, it can be, <laughs> the environment doesn't matter. It can be dry, whatever, but God's alive right now, and he's here, and he's present. It doesn't matter if there's no music. It doesn't matter if there's not keys playing behind you. God is present right now, and he wants to speak to you, and he wants to minister to you, and he wants to love you, and he wants to build confidence in your life that he is trustworthy, and you can trust him. So right now, if there's just anything, you just feel like, you know what, you know, I'm just, I want to let that go. I'm just, I'm ready to just, just surrender. I'm ready to yield to you. I want you just to do that right now by faith. Right now, you can lift your hands. If that helps you, that's a sign of surrender. You can take a deep breath and just let go. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, Father. We just yield to you. God, we just thank you that there's more in our life. God, we thank you, God, that you did it as the Son of Man so that we could go through the wilderness, God. We could go through any, we could go through any situation, any circumstance, and come out and return in power. Father, thank you. Power affirmed in our identity. Not just power of gifts and healing and miracles and all that stuff. And all that stuff is just, these the signs shall follow those who believe. <laughs> it's, it's just a byproduct of believing our identity. It's not something that power is even for. The power is to go through every temptation, every trial, and come out more powerful. God, as a slingshot, further into what you called us into. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for building that in us. We just yield our hearts to you. Go ahead and stand if you would. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We just love you and we honor, we commit to you in our hearts. And I gotta take the time, but make that commitment. It's the best thing you'll ever do. And you do it every day. It's not just a one-time thing. We commit every day to let him saturate us in his love and his faithfulness. Feed on his faithfulness. 
This is Psalm 37.3. says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Then delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. The way that you delight yourself in the Lord is you dwell in the land and you feed on his faithfulness. You're getting ready to go eat. We all eat sometimes five, six, seven times a day. I, my wife is pregnant, so she's feeding too. So, okay. So, <laughs> love, love you, honey. We love you. Thank you. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Thank you, Lord. Um, just like you feed, you go eat food, you feed on his faithfulness. Exercise it. Do it. Just do it. As you do it, that's, that's delighting yourself in Him. And when you delight yourself in Him, then He's going to give you His desires. And when you have His desires, it's way better than anything you, you could think or imagine. He wants to do more for you than you could ever imagine. Amen?